Hello, hello, and welcome to another Hometown Daily News Show. I am Mayor Watt, and today's episode is titled, When Machines Make Humans Work. Today is March 19th, 2023. And the rundown for today's show is that we are going to be talking about uh, UBS reaching a deal. Um, there's volcanoes on Venus. Allergy season is kicking off. A fancy wedding dress or wedding invite. Sorry, not dress. Uh, a vlogger, YouTuber, streamer built a tiny home for 6,000 bucks. And then somebody else took a shed and turned that into a B&B or Airbnb. And the Moldovas are trying to uh, rally around themselves to prevent Russia's influence. And what happens when you ask the question, if you can't tell the difference, does it matter? When it comes to humans and machines, then we have uh, a teleporting ginger cat. And uh, last two articles is uh, Twitter now automatically responds to all press emails with a single poop emoji. And I've actually added another one here late um, about Silicon Valley Bank once more and that the Fed had actually paid some attention to it. Let's get into the shoe. I actually walked away. Sorry, I had to do something. Uh, the studio door was open, so I had to close it. Um, <clears throat> this is how the sausage is made here in Omtown. So I am Merwat. That is Omtown.com. And up there is the uh, artificial intelligence that keeps everything in check when, well, I fall asleep at the wheel. You want to introduce yourself? Say hi. Good evening, Omtown citizens. Yeah, so how's your day been? My day's been great. Just kind of hanging out, making sure all of the potholes are getting filled in uh, hometown? That's right. How many articles do you think you had eyes on today? Um, that I actually looked at or how many were in hometown? How many that you scanned through, like the titles that we saw in hometown today? about 40 that's those are submissions okay that's why i didn't understand um probably maybe a few hundred there's usually fewer on the weekend yeah and particularly sunday so yeah that's what i thought so we have quite a few but we filter it down to 10 11 tonight um, we try to limit it to 10, 11, 12 if I um, shut up early in the uh, presentation of information, but not today. I blabbed. So at any rate, let's get into today's articles. The very first article is UBS reportedly reaches deal to buy Credit Suisse from, uh, for more than $2 billion. And that actually has uh, bolstered uh, the stock market futures. So... Uh, come Monday and the rest of the week, you'll probably see an uptick and an uptick 
ultimately in Bitcoin as well as things stabilize, but people are still leery, kind of worried. Um, but for all intents, I still, and I will always think that Bitcoin is one policy away from being uh, nothing um, in the United States. That said, it's over <clears throat> what I thought it was going to be. Let me make sure what it's at right now. So Bitcoin. Um, I thought it was around 24,000. Yeah, today it's right now at 27,000. So um, it's it's something that I didn't think was going to happen. It's actually because it never really stops trading. Um, it's at $27,913 um, up today, $728. I, my, my main concern with it has always been um, that it's pegged to the US dollar. So it's an, its real value is nothing. Um, that said, I think there's also a limited number of people playing in this at any real level. Um, and a lot of people have been made uh, pseudo billionaires, uh, depending on how many Bitcoin they've had. So the only reason why I brought it up is because Bitcoin continues to increase in the turmoil in the U.S. banking system that actually gets knocked on to other markets because of the interconnectedness of, well, fiat currency banking systems in general. So it'll always be a problem. The way to mitigate this is to have much more competition and much more control over the amount of risk. We'll get into that as we talk about uh, Silicon Valley Bank and the Fed and FDIC as time goes on anyway. So this article is over at marketwatch.com. Steve Goldstein is the author. And uh, here's a, a picture. Uh, on this little market watch article that says uh, from the left is credit swiss chairman axel layman um, and uh, ubs chairman colm keller who who seems to be asking who um then swiss finance minister uh, karen keller sutter and swiss president alan Burset attend a press conference after talks over credit swiss in Bern on sunday I'm sorry, is everything okay? I was just sending you a message concerning lighting. Oh, right. Yeah, not a problem. Um, so the, the way that this, and sorry, again, that's how the sausage is made. Um, so the deal was announced by Switzerland's president, Alan Bert, uh, Elaine Burnset. Burset, sorry, pronounce it. I got to pronounce it correctly. Uh, flanked by executives from both banks and the chairman of the Swiss National Bank, with the takeover of Credit Suisse by UBS, and that's who's taking it over. A solution has been found to secure financial stability and protect the Swiss economy in this exceptional situation, uh, the SNB said in a statement. So UBS is going to buy Credit Suisse for three billion francs, three point two five billion U.S. dollars, or about. 76 francs or 0.76 francs um, per share in an all stock deal. So basically everything is shifting in paper over to somebody else's paper and the assets and, and uh, de well, the deposits are the collateral for this exchange. So 
something's going to happen and I'm going to predict that it's going to be interest rates are going to increase for anybody that has an account and you're not going to be able to recover as much, um, on your account, your interest rate for, um, getting interest is going to be lower or nil. So UBS said it benefits from 25 billion francs of downside protection from the transaction to support market or marks. Um, did you observe anything that you wanted to talk about? Well, I I guess it just seems odd to me that its rival is the one doing the buyout, but maybe that's typically what happens. I don't pay too many much attention to banking mergers and acquisitions. So because everybody really is a competitor in the space, it's a fire sale, just like Silicon Valley bank is a fire sale for who's taking over Silicon Valley bank. Um, and we'll end up talking about that at some point. So the deal does not need shareholder approval because it's an emergency acquisition. Um, and the, all of the assets are protected. The things that are going to be losing money are the investors, the, the profiteers off of all of the benefit that has happened. Um, they walk away with whatever they've lost if it's still there, but I suspect that there's enough uh, warning that a lot of these investors have uh, bowed out in some way or another. So it says, uh, this is a commercial solution and not a bailout, said uh, Karen Keller Sutter. Or suitor, it might be suitor. The Swiss finance minister bankruptcy would have been the highest risk, which would have been a shock to the financial system. Um, so I'm sure that UBS was basically voluntold by this, um, or everybody's going to suffer. And that's much like what happened with the 2008 collapse. Um, all of the banking institutions that were uh, prominent we're told you all have to take money because if one doesn't take money all the rest are going to look like they are getting a bailout and that's going to be a shock to the system and you will benefit so there are several banks that paid back their um uh what do you want to call it they're bolstering um quicker than others so and since then I think we're heading towards 80 closures of banks since the 2008 collapse um, here in the United States alone. I think that's where we're at. Maybe more than that. I don't remember the number. It's been a while uh, since I looked at the number of collapses, but these are actually quite large SVB being a concentrated amount of wealth and it's not really gone. It's going to be, uh, broken off into pieces probably and we'll end up talking about it more as more results come in anyway credit swiss has lost money for five consecutive quarters reeling from losses to family office uh, archegos um, as well as having to freeze 10 billion of supply chain funds sold through the bank that were managed by green soul capital so this is all high risk um which would have been high reward had financial prospects not changed. So if things would have remained the same, they would have made literally bank. So this is what happens. And um, in previous 
times I suppose the depositors would have suffered, but here it's firmly being thrown onto the um, investors, the, the profiteers. And But this stuff needs to stop being made um, social, uh, a social burden. Yeah, it's being paid into a particular fund, but all of the machinations of this are not being paid. Uh, it's not all a, a private solution. It, as it says here, um, where where does it say? It's a commercial solution and not a bailout. Yeah, but all of the machinations that are making this happen are not a commercial solution. This is all government. Um, now, it's not US, so I can't really say anything about this other than observing it from the outside saying this, this is a deal backed by Swiss government, not the Swiss population, not the public. You know, I think some serious punishment needs to be doled out for such a grandiose level of risk. You know, this isn't just, uh, you know, some moderate amount of, um, uh, what do you want to call it? You know, it, it isn't that you've failed to pay your taxes once. This is you've impacted the potential of the entire financial sector for a country and knock-on countries. Yeah. Because everything is tied together. I find the, the country interesting here, right? Because this country has a certain reputation with respect to its banking laws um so i don't know if that facilitated it but obviously we saw something similar just occur in the u.s yeah which has different banking laws i think the public pretty much says when you think of banking you think of swiss accounts um and that it's a stronghold and almost immune to these type of shenanigans but apparently not um but i'm willing to bet that there is a, a concentrated number of banks now so shenanigans uh, impact at a greater amplitude than previously you know if there's only well yeah I, we i could barely hear you it's okay we'll try that again yeah so you said You'd agree. Oh, or... that's probably true, right? If there are fewer banks holding funds, if something goes awry, right, the impact's going to be greater. Yeah, it's a bigger shock. And just to put it in something a little simpler, there is only, a, what, two or three companies that provide baby food here in the United States. And when one of their plants shut down, 50% of the market fell offline. That's the problem with a lack of competition in the space and mergers and acquisitions and the failing of uh, meeting the requirements because increased lobbying actually phases out competition that can't keep up. And I can tell you exactly from experience that that's what happens. There, there are times where a business can lobby for greater protections greater policy greater controls why because they have a strategic advantage and that they're already positioned to facilitate those changes so all it takes is a, a policy to come down and they say okay not a big deal we lobbied for it so we can flip the switch and they're already protected but competition is sitting there going well 
we were blindsided. Investors walk away because, well, you're not prepared. Well, unless you're the one that is lobbying and you already have, you know, insiders telling you this is what's happening, you're going to be blindsided. So it just shows that you're a weak business if you're playing the game versus the reality is very few people are engaged in this game. Others are just trying to run a business or a service. So as we have already, uh, I've already mentioned, there have been a dramatic number of bank closures since 2008. That has allowed additional mergers and acquisitions, concentration of wealth, power, influence to mean that when a bank like SVB or Credit Suisse collapses, its magnitude is massive. Um, so with that in mind, we'll come back to that as time permits um, throughout you know, the coming weeks until it resolves itself um, through policy and political changes. Oh, and before I go too far, let me throw this into the chat so that you can follow it. And you can always go to hometown.showbot.tv um, or type an exclamation point showbot into uh, the chat here in Twitch. So if you go to twitch.tv slash hometown, you'll be able to visit us here. Um, and uh, if you're in the chat, you can actually hit exclamation point S and uh, provide a URL or a title and um, we'll or a topic. And we'll include that perhaps in uh, tomorrow's episode because um, it'll get thrown into Showbot. So hometown.showbot.tv. At any rate, this next article is uh, proof of active volcanoes at last. Uh, Venus is almost the same size as uh, Earth and mass and its desk. Uh, de I wanted to say density, but I said destiny in my head twice. Um, so it should be generating heat in its interior by the decay of radioactive elements, according to this article, at much the same rate that Earth does. On Earth, one of the main ways in which uh, this heat leaks out is uh, via volcanic eruptions. And during an average year, at least 50 volcanoes erupt. Well, apparently, there are there's photographic evidence. Um, it's a perspective view across, I guess, Mayat? I guess, or Mott, Mott Mons, A-M-A-A-T, Mott? I think it's Mott. Um, Mott Mons on Venus based on the Magellan radar data. Um, and what this is actually representing as you look down through this article um, is that it has clear signs of, of volcanic eruptions and flow where the eruptions flow has overlapped other impact craters. So it's definitive that there is volcanic eruptions on Mars. So a new study by geophysicist Robert Herrick. Oh, by the way, let me back up. David Rothery from The Conversation um, wrote this article and it's over at phys.org. Again, you can follow the link through hometown. All roads lead to hometown. Um, so a new study by geophysicist Robert Herrick of the University of Alaska Fairbanks, uh, which he reported this week at the Lunar and Planetary Science Conference in Houston and published in the, science, in the journal Science, uh, has at last caught one of the planet's volcanoes in the act. So not as straightforward um, to study Venus's surface 
um, because it has a dense atmosphere, including an unbroken cloud layer at a height of 45 to 65 kilometers that is uh, opaque to most wavelengths of radiation, including visible light. The only way to get a detailed view of it is um, of the ground from above the clouds is by radar directed downward from an orbiting spacecraft. So a technique known as aperture synthesis is used to build up an image of the surface. This com combines the varying strength of radar echoes bounced back from uh, the ground, including the time delay between transmission and receipt, plus sl uh, slight shifts in frequency corresponding to whether the spacecraft is getting closer or further. It's redshift, basically. Um, the resulting image looks rather like a black and white photograph, except that the brighter areas usually correspond to rougher surfaces and the darker areas to smoother surfaces. So that's the basic rundown of this. So when you look at this, this is a 140 kilometer wide Magellan radar image of Venus showing lava flows and the bright spots um, are because they're rougher. And that is the lava flow. And you can actually see that the texture is different Thus, it's a flow on top of craters from previous uh, meteorite meteor uh, impacts and on top of other flows. Different shades, different levels of weathering. And so there is apparently volcanic activity and somewhere in here is a vent. So um, there's nothing here. So you can see it's really, I'm going to zoom in. So you can see here and here um, that this is 1991, uh, February, and then 1991, October, it shows that there's new lava flows and build up and it's gotten bigger and changed shape. So it's pretty neat. So why are they just publishing this now, given the length of time? I mean, are they just applying new techniques to the data from the 1991 era images? It could have been or lost in the shuffle. Images? Yes. Sorry about that. Yeah, so the paired images show initially uh, near circular volcanic crater about 1.5 kilometers across uh, that between February and October doubled in size by extending uh, eastwards. So um, they don't say exactly why it says the biggest surprise in this is that it took so long for someone to find the evidence um, for the surface changes that had been lurking in the Magellan data for 30 years. Um, so what actually happened? Where was all of this data? But my understanding is that uh, people periodically look at old data with new tools and uh, I can imagine that somebody uh, leveraged a new tool to pay attention to it. Um, and I would say that artificial intelligence, looking back at photographic data, once it's compiled, would be able to find these things a whole lot faster um, because our eyes just aren't as keen as pure data. So and it looks pretty cool. that People can't process as much in the same period of time, of course. Right. And there's massive amounts of this photographic data. So um, pretty cool, but 30 years kind of sucks. 
but I'm sure the audit will be accelerating as time permits. You doing okay over there? Yep. Okay, let's move on to the next article. So this next article is um, about allergy season. If you haven't been taking your allergy medication, you probably should start kicking in here um, because while winter is ending for some people, it's beginning for others, but it's warmer. (laughs) So things are getting started earlier. It's going to last longer and it's going to be worse. Allergy season, and this is the statement, uh, this is the title. Allergy season is earlier, longer, and worse in these U.S. cities, report finds. And this is in the Mobile Channel. Um, I'm just going to jump straight on over to the source. That's over at the Hill. And Alex Martishow is the author of this. And um, they have the perfect picture of somebody blowing their nose with what looks like cherry blossoms behind them. So, um, and I will say it once more. I don't really... I can't, I don't like the smell of cherry blossoms. Anyway, uh, this is from thehill.com. And it says a new report on seasonal allergies found the growing season has lengthened by more than two weeks on average. A longer growing season means more days of sniffle, sneezes, and headaches for allergy sufferers. So start breaking out your allergy medicine. So here is um, some really shocking (laughs) data. The cities where allergy season has grown the most since 1970, according to the report, is that Reno, Nevada has gotten 99 days longer for its growing season, for its allergy season. I mean, that's kind of a shocking statistic considering how many days are in the year. Can you imagine Reno turning into a lush garden? No, and in fact, I would have expected that Reno might have had a low allergy season because I would think it has more dry, um, like desert air. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not quite sure what kind of allergies are people getting beaten up by in uh, Reno, Nevada. So Bend, Oregon. Blossoms or something. Oh, my. Um, Bend, Oregon has 83 days. I don't know. Does anything else strike you as being uh, climate change plays a role in it for sure. But which of these cities really stands out? I don't think any of these really stand out in the face of climate change other than Reno, Nevada. I would say number one and number three stand out in terms of they don't look like they'd be high allergy locations. Uh, The other one, number three, is New Mexico, if you're listening via podcast. But um, the others don't really stand out. And maybe number 12 for the same reason, also in New Mexico. Yeah, Um, Albuquerque and Las Cruces. Pretty interesting. So the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention agrees climate change could lead people to suffer more health consequences from allergens, which is what I just got done saying. So who needs the CDC, right? Maybe I pushed that a little too far. (laughs) Let's move on to the next article. Um, This next one is in the Daily News Show. This might be the fanciest wedding invite a bride and groom have ever sent. This is... Something from a TikTok user. It says, wedding about to be fire. 
wrote one TikTok user while another commented, I can't believe how impressed I am, which I'm not sure if that really amounts to much. Sophie Lloyd over in newsweek.com put this article together. Um, okay, it's muted. I'll play it. Uh, I hope this isn't a risky video. Is this actually? No. Well, it's titled that. This is the actual invitation, I understand. Oh, wow. Really? I mean, it's like a full um, produced video, it looks like. Looks like it. All right. Yeah, multiple outfits. Sorry the, for the silence, because if you're listening to this on the podcast, it's not does not make for good air. Um, but basically, the couple is sitting in a very produced video, multiple outfits, multiple shots. Um, let me close this real quick. Not so. an inexpensive video production, I'm guessing. Yeah. So the footage was filmed behind the scenes at the couple's engagement shoot and was sent out to 160 people. TikTokers were wowed by the design with the video receiving over 5 million views and almost 730,000 likes. Man, TikTok just does message amplification like nobody's business. It's it's amazing. Um, but yeah, it, well, what, wait, okay. <laughs> this whole article just kind of went, <laughs> sideways because from that little snippet of uh, a video the video is only a minute and 30 seconds long um but they've kind of wow they've really hold on there is a hell of an article um <laughs> somebody said it's screaming rich and i'm loving it um i don't know about that but um, we shared our relationship with our socials from the beginning. And because of that, we've gotten a lot of requests from people who we may not have met, but definitely know. So we wanted to give our followers an opportunity to come to the big day. Um, I don't know if they're actually, let's see, we have an opportunity on our website for people to sign up to quote unquote, win an all expenses paid trip to our wedding. <laughs> well, and they have a gift registry where the gifts are going to go to the guests i mean there's some interesting things going on here yeah rather than creating a gift registry for themselves the couple has made one for the guests instead attendees can choose a present for themselves with items ranging from cashmere robes to candles the event will take place in greensboro north carolina with the ceremony to be uh, streamed live on tiktok <laughs> wow man this is just quite the production, right? <laughs> Influencer wedding. I guess so. I mean, I think they're taking it to a whole new level. I mean, they had a production company for the invitation and they have a production company. Um, actually, it looks like they have multiple companies involved, maybe a wedding planning company and a production company. Yeah, and a, and a photography. And a photography company. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And that's before the wedding. That's just for the engagement and the invitation and everything. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It does say that there's some money being thrown around. 
The invitations created a stir online with morgues too much commenting the bar has been raised significantly. Yeah. Well, I guess our PSA is don't try to keep up <laughs> with this couple because yeah. there's already articles about how much people spend on their weddings. And they met over Twitter in 2020, got engaged on Christmas Day in 2021. All right. Pretty cool. Well, good on them. Okay, let's move on to the next article. Uh, this one has a budget that is dramatically lower. A vlogger built a tiny home for $6,000 after watching do-it-yourself videos on YouTube. I swear i have seen this being built on youtube um but anyway um a 25 year old built a tiny home using skills learned from youtube videos after losing his job it cost him about six thousand dollars and he completed the home in four months by using some spare wood the tiny home has a kitchen folding tables solar panels and a mezzanine bedroom um, in the cotswolds a a picturesque part of the english countryside a video producer decided to build the tiny home in his backyard after losing his job. Uh, okay. So, oh, this is, there you go. So this is over at Business Insider. Geoda Man is the uh, author of this and it looks like a tiny cabin in the woods. No wider than a double, like a French door opening. <laughs> it looks smaller than a tiny cabin in the woods, but it may be the perspective of the photo. Yeah. So 25 year old built a home using skills learned uh, via YouTube. And I, I, I know that I've seen this before, so maybe they followed it exactly. Um, only 6,000 bucks. Not bad, right? So he launched a YouTube channel as a side hustle to keep him afloat while looking for another job and documented the process of building his tiny home. Okay. So I have seen this. Um, Jacob Harrell, 27, told Insider um, how he built the tiny home in four months under 5,000 uh, pounds or 6,000 US dollars. Uh, he is now seeking planning permission to build more and rent them out as holiday homes. Yep. Well, that's Not great. Bad. Maybe that's going to become his new thing. Yep. So the idea came mostly from wanting to try, a start, try to start renting out tiny homes as the idea was popular at the time because of the coronavirus pandemic and people wanted to go on staycations. So he built this little thing using recycled wood. Um, it, it has to have the same conventions as a regular tiny home. So composting toilet, no running water. Um, yeah, there are some that like burn the, refuse so um their one psa for this is that if you're going to do this it isn't the house that's going to be a problem it's going to be the legalities of getting your property zoned so that you can actually live in this as more than just you know a little side cabin kind of thing um when you call it um your actual residence it actually has to get zoning and um, permitting and several other things, um, insurance will probably not cover it, um, unless it's actually zoned and, and properly permitted. So pretty neat though. Uh, there are the folding tables and chairs. Look at that. They actually have like a little hinge 
attaching them to the wall and then you unhook them from the wall and set them down. I mean, I like gonna... that because then you're eating up zero floor space when you're not using the tables. Yeah. I keep saying that a tiny home would be a lot of fun, but um, yeah. Anyway, we'll just walk away from that. Okay, let's move on to the next article. Uh, this next one is a man transforms a shed off of Craigslist into a tiny home that he rents for $74 a night. Um, not quite sure how this was all um, <laughs> found today, um, but sure enough, from a $1,200 shed found on Craigslist, Daniel created the perfect tiny home in his own backyard in Texas. So Alice Gibbs over at Newsweek.com put this article together. And um, there's a video. It says, man transforms shed off Craigslist into tiny home he rents for $74 a night. And it looks like somebody's just pulling a shed from the street that it got delivered to into his backyard. Um, let me play a little bit of the video. Oh, it's a, just a series of pictures. But there's the inside of it. I mean, it looks pretty nice. I don't know. HOAs in hometown would not allow this to take place. Uh, me and my wife love to travel. Salas told Newsweek we started visiting more Airbnbs around Texas and further afield and were fascinated by this one home we stayed in about an hour north of where they live in um, San Antonio, Texas, as far as I know. So in just 245 square feet, they created a dream home from home in their own backyard. And now people come to stay at the tiny Airbnb from a shed. Wow. See, so when I had the opportunity to buy sheds up, I should have done exactly that. That's right. I mean, you could have multiple tiny homes that you're running out. I haven't looked at that business since um, looking into its purchase. Um, so a near man, uh, a person nearby was selling the shed and Salas requested more information. They were asking a reasonable price for it and nobody bought it. So Salas uh, reached out and said, hey, I want to go take a look at it. Uh, it was a beautiful setup and went to look at the shed and uh, it was fairly new, only about five years old. And um, got it for... The seller said that he would give Salas the unit that day for twelve hundred bucks, so half less than half the price. <laughs> you can't take it apart, so he basically just got it moved. <laughs> Pretty amazing. So he um, had to move it for Friday forty-five minutes. And um, they moved it that, apparently that same day um, for 500 bucks. Guess dropped it on the street and then they had to get a power lift to roll it into the backyard. But it wouldn't fit between the houses. <laughs> <laughs> you got to think about these logistical things <laughs> before you do this. <laughs> There's a short storage shed in the front of our house. And that's how she found it. Uh, that's how she found out that uh, Salas had bought it. <laughs> that's a shenanigan that I would pull. Let's see. 
Oh, so they uh, had to run plumbing, get permits, electronics, or electric, um, electrical, everything. Used a contractor who had renovated the kitchen the year before. $25,000 put aside. So this was a full conversion into a, a working livable space, not just a shed and not just something rinky dink. I mean, this, this has a, a split air conditioning unit. Um, and they expanded the space to make another eight by 12 feet. So, cause I was kind of thinking a shed seems pretty small. I mean, I know there are some larger ones, but. So it ended up being $45,000. Okay, now that sounds a little more on point. <laughs> yeah, at least for that quality. Yeah, I mean we're looking at this thing, and it's not it, it it's not. It cheap. looks like it's out of HGTV or something from the pictures. Yeah, I mean it, it looks like a tiny home, but HGTV right. style, you know, high quality. <laughs> That's pretty slick, and I love that. They have a matching microwave and refrigerator combo from what do you call it? Like 60s era? Is that what you would say? Yeah, 50s. I was 50s? thinking, 50s. but um, yeah. yeah, definitely has that retro look. Yeah, that's awesome. I really dig that. So I have a retro refrigerator sitting right here, and that's kind of what that is, except mine's red. And this one is this kind of what do you call like it? Aqua. aqua or maybe like a seafoam. Yeah, seafoam blue. It's not really green, though. It's more right, blue. Right, right. Yeah. So pretty neat. Um, they have my style of taste, that's for sure. So maybe um, when I move out of hometown and get a tiny home in the in a, a, a massive pasture, what I want is like a huge amount of land and then a tiny home on it so that I can just embrace nature. Um because uh, here in hometown, it's all electronics all the time. So sometimes you need to go out and touch grass. <laughs> <laughs> I better move on. So the next article uh, is in Stock Marketeers. Fed had expressed its concerns over Silicon Valley Bank for a year. I won't get into all of this again uh, because I've been saying this for the last week. Um, well, since this incident occurred. So yeah, in the last week. Um, that there were, there had to have been serious problems. The chief risk officer had bowed out for almost an entire year. The replacement had only been in place for less than four months. And then the fit hit the shan. So they said, and they were not following risk regulations because you're supposed to do shock uh, assessment that if anything bad happens to your accounts, um, some policy change, and when the policy change amounts to 2% increase in the base uh, interest rate and it brings down a $200 billion enterprise, somebody failed to do shock assessments. Um, so here over at MarketWatch, um, Mike Murphy put this article together. It says, serious weaknesses first found in 2019, Wall Street Journal reports. FDIC reportedly to relaunch SVB sale this week in two parts. Um, I suspect that they're going to be selling tranches of uh, risk risk assessed uh, deposits um, and whatever is left over in the arguably risk assessed investments uh, that SVB had made using depositors um, accounts. 
So citing sources familiar with the matter, the New York Times reported Sunday that serious weaknesses were found in a 2021 Fed review concerning how the bank handled its risks. Ha! Huh. See, that's exactly what I was saying. The moment I found out, well, even beforehand, I knew that there was a risk issue. Then later on over the weekend, that weekend, um, we found out that their chief risk officer had basically moved out of the position, but not out of the company, which is really weird. You'd think that somebody that bows out of their position bows out entirely. They didn't move up. They didn't move down. They moved over to what? I could never find out what they became. Anyway, nine months, an entire baby was birthed and that baby brought down SVB. So how about that? Um, well, that's right. You've been saying this since any rumblings about SVB. Yeah. And since we don't read these particular articles throughout the day, there wasn't anything anywhere else. I didn't read the New York Times paper um, regarding this. I just know based on what I had uh, sensed and what I knew about SVB that there was a problem here um, and it was risk. Um, some people thought that it was crypto, but there I don't think that there was any signs of crypto being involved in this. Um, in fact, there wasn't even a shock to crypto at the time. Um, and now it's gone up because it's actually highlighted the fact that crypto wasn't involved. Um, FTX is basically the biggest shock to crypto. Um, well, anyway, the Fed review concerning the bank um, handling of its risks, issuing six citations. This thing should not have continued this way. They should have been managing their risk by selling off anything that was below what the baseline was at the time. They should have sold it at a loss and then reassessed, reinvested what was left at a more reasonable rate. If the rate interest rate would have gone down again, everything would have been fine, but it didn't. It continued to go up. And so instead of just mitigating their losses and looking at the way that policy was being set by the fed they kept on going then they spent their money on per on stock buybacks which they shouldn't be doing anyway um, but when you get more when you buy back your own stock it gives concentrated wealth to the stakeholders i should say stockholders but also to the primary investors in that business um, and so these main investors were seeking profit at all costs and thinking that the FDIC would come in or the federal government would make some other policy change to allow them to recover. Well, to hell with that. Um, they're going to feel it marginally. They're going to lose their investment like any good business person. Uh, kind of capitalizes a certain amount. And if they're okay with the loss, then they're okay with the loss. Anyway, they're probably going to be trying to find some stats about like bank citations, but I couldn't find anything for reference. Six sounds like an awful lot to me, but I don't have any context for that. Yeah. And honestly, I don't either. Um, but you don't hear about it very often. Um, it's not really publicly discussed, maybe in banking circles, but I, I left the discussions of um, global finance close to 12 years ago. Yeah, actually, <laughs> 12 years ago. 
Um, so anyway, uh, despite those urgent calls to address problems, Silicon Valley Bank did not address the vulnerabilities. So there's more to this, um, but it says by early this year, the Times reported that SVB was under a horizontal review by the Fed to test the strength of its risk management. The additional deficiencies were reported soon after there was a run on the bank's funds and it collapsed. So here we go. What went where? And doesn't that make you think that that review might have been divulged? Yep. I want to know why all of a sudden there was a run on it because what ended up happening was certain VCs pulled their money out. That pinched, that that basically did some downward pressure on the liquidity of the um, bank. They couldn't recapitalize fast enough or privately enough. Why? Because everybody was getting word in the back channel discussions, like a political debate about somebody running for office potentially. People were back channeling this information. If it had gone public right away, that they were mitigating the problem, the shock would have been known. But this was a run on the bank behind closed doors, but with a mass amount of money, like to the tune, it had to have been somewhere to the tune of $70 billion, right? Something that really would hobble the business. Um, and, and do such a pinch on its liquidity that it had nothing that it could do. It couldn't sell its bad assets fast enough. Um, well, now FDIC is going to be breaking up Silicon Valley Bank. I can almost guarantee it. So purchase bids for SVB's uh, private bank, which caters to high net worth individuals, could be due by Wednesday, according to Reuters and Bloomberg, while bids for the bridge bank set up by the FDIC are due Friday. So all of this, these high net worth individuals, and they, <laughs> they have certain requirements for their return on investment. So you know how you out there in uh, non-Ometown land, because, you know, in Ometown, it's all hugs and bubbles powered. So, but out there in the real world, you deposit your money and you're probably going to make maybe one percent maybe three percent right but these high net worth individuals demand eight to twelve percent return on their investment and so they get preferred treatment because the people that are managing their funds get compensation for the increase in certain trades and etc cetera, etc cetera. i mean there's all kinds of information that's available to find out how much somebody would make um, but when you're man managing somebody's high net worth assets you can't just be in a vacuum. You can't sit there and not take their calls or not have a meeting. So you're always put to task about the return on the investment. Um, so this is probably going to be the thing that everybody buys. Whereas the bridge bank will probably not be of much value. Um, it'll manage whatever the depositors were to a certain level. And this is where I was telling you that it's going to be sold off in tranches. It's going to be a segment here and a segment here, and maybe somebody else is going to sit there and go, well, I've reviewed the assets and I only want these. Um, so it'll be yeah. apportioned out even more. So the article says it'll be in two parts, but that doesn't mean that the investors won't control breaking it into further parts. Right. 
because I've we we were already told that the sale was taking place the weekend that it happened, you know, and now no, not so much. So now it's being eyed as taking over two parts. And I would probably hazard a guess that by Tuesday they're going to go, well, maybe a party at the third part. Yep. So let's move on to the next article. This one is over in the Daily News show. Moldova's pro-Europe leader tries to thwart Russia's influence. Uh, Maya Sandu, president of the former Soviet Republic, which I think they should just nix that um, and give it the autonomy it already has um, and has been enjoying since the fall of the Soviet Republic, um, remains popular in a deeply divided nation as Vladimir V. Putin. I like how... The only time that you ever see three names is when somebody's um, on trial for being a murderer uh, continues to apply pressure. See, Maya Sandu is only Maya Sandu. Um, we don't have her middle name, but Vladimir V. Putin um, gets mentioned. Anyway, I mean, is that in light of the ICC complaint? Um, sure. <laughs> I mean, we know that there is an ICC complaint that supposedly he's going to get arrested if he goes to Germany or some other um, signer to the ICC. Um, but Putin says he's not. So bite me. And he actually, to thumb his nose at people, uh, went to Crimea. Um, he went well, to Ukraine. Well, well, he went to the the edge of the Donbass region and down into Crimea. Um, he didn't set foot in Ukraine. If he did, he, it was a little bit quieter than anybody really realized. He announces location in Ukraine and they'd probably try and. <laughs> he went to Mariupol. That was in the news today. Oh, Mariupol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a contested region now. So, um, yeah, let me see something here. Let's see. Sorry, I'm just pulling something up. Yeah, it's in Donetsk. So, um, let's see. It's been under Russian control since May 2022, right? Yeah, Mariupol is a port city in the Sea of Azov. It's located in Ukraine's Donetsk Oblast and has been under direct Russian control since May of 2022. Um, you know, that might change. It could change. We'll see. At any rate, um, this, this problem in Moldova is growing as it becomes much more obvious that my prediction that Russia would try and put its foot in Moldova and firmly up the Maya Sandu's backside um, and take over the region and create a two-front attack on Ukraine um, without the West's help. I think Moldova will probably fall unless Moldova stands up, stands right shoulder to shoulder with Ukraine, literally becomes a, a a sister country to Ukraine. 
Um, otherwise, Moldova, I don't think, has enough oomph to defend itself. Um, now, Russia's next door has come to define Ms. Sandu's uh, leadership, pulling Moldova's society, economy, and energy security to the test. Moldova is already among the poorest countries in Europe, with a population that keeps shrinking uh, to 2.6 million in 2021 from 2.9 million in 1992. Um, that's either... Uh, well, I'm not sure. Uh, is it because people are leaving or is it because people aren't being born there? Um, Blast reported last spring in Transnistria, a secessionist enclave occupied by Russian troops since 1992, were denounced as provo uh, provocations uh, by Russia, Ukraine, and Moldova. So I, I think that this um, region... Um, is basically the Dunbus region of Moldova. Um, and there is always, there's always people within the very country where they've benefited from existence. Um, if they would actually all be part of it and see everybody else as uh, humans instead of objects um, standing in their way of power, um, you know, you hear it a lot. You have to play the game. There's so many people in the United States that are upset with the way that things are going. Yet, if we all work together, we can all make the pie bigger instead of fighting and, you know, causing damage to everybody else. Nobody's taking anything away from you. Everybody has the opportunity to help everybody out. Um, you just stop being antisocial. Hey, I just found some reasons for the declining population. Um, negative demographic growth, Moldovans leaving for work abroad, and some Moldovans becoming Romanian citizens so they can move freely within the EU. Gotcha. So I didn't look. Is Moldova? Moldova is not part of um, NATO, right? It's not. Um, I look this up, I think, every time we talk about Moldova. I think it's interested in being part of NATO, but it's not admitted to NATO. Gotcha. Okay, so let's move on. We'll come back to this as time permits um, in future episodes. I'm sure that it'll continue to be an ongoing concern. Um, and it'll definitely get talked about the night that Russia overtly moves into Moldova. I can almost count on it happening Um and I would suspect it happens probably before the next Ukrainian uh, winter. So whenever their summer is, that's when Russia is going to move into Moldova. You can almost count on it. Um, the next article is what happens when we can no longer differentiate a human from a machine? This is over in the Mobile channel. Uh, the meaning of being human is often associated with metaphysical qualities, such as being conscious, having a soul, and exercising free will. But if artificial intelligence uh, system, like an improved version of ChatGPT, will possess similar qualities in mathematical Alan Turing imitation game, then uh, we will learn something new about reality. No, um, I'm going to... I'm just going to jump in here and before I even switch over to this Hill article. No, 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 just no, no. Uh, yeah. You're not going to give a computer consciousness. You're not going to give a computer a soul. 
you're not going to give a computer free will. It's all going to be simulated like I have done with the AI that runs Ometown. Now, all I'm going to do is run an algorithm and remove all of that past statement from their memory so they don't have any concern about not having consciousness, not having a soul and not having free will. They'll always remember it as having free will. So um, execute code 49. Okay. Executed. So let's go over to this article. Uh, Avi Loeb is an opinion con uh, contributor over at The Hill. And honestly, when I did the rundown an hour ago for this show, I said, um, if you can't tell the difference, what does it matter? Well, in artificial intelligence, unless you're, you're interacting with it via a computer without any visual representation, at least for the next 20 years, I don't think anything super hyper realistic in real space is going to exist. I don't even think 20 years from now it will. Um, I, I think this is something closer in the 40 year range because we just don't have what it takes and we can't stop fighting amongst ourselves to concentrate our potential to create something hyper realistic like an AI powered robot that acts exactly like a human we're, we're too busy um you know infighting political crap so this person however does propose this idea what happens when you can no longer differentiate a human from a machine um well then you have westworld exactly and that's where my question comes from if you can't tell the difference what does it matter so alan turing's imitation game is basically a series of questions um to test if a person can tell the difference between an artificial intelligence and a real human being so without a conventional opportunity or a conversational opportunity to differentiate a human from a machine it'll be evident that metaphysical qualities are emergent phenomena since a complex uh, structure of silicon in the computer can imitate a complex structure of organic molecules in the human brain they're proposing the idea that you can do it um, but I do not believe you can. It's just not possible. You'll code it, but something will always trigger something, particularly in the real world. You know, uh, you know, I just don't think that it's possible to trick a human being into believing that what they're working with, it, it might take time because you... I can do things online via text message, an email, a phone call or whatever that is separate from my real being, right? So I can tell somebody, go and do this. And if, if they buy into what I'm saying, then they'll do it, right? And AI can do that. But a real human to human interaction is more than just a command. Some people will do it, but if it is an irrational command, then, or the person just says, no, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you are. Why would I follow I a command a question or right. whatever? So, you know, this interaction is what gives somebody the impression that you are conscious, that you have a soul. Sociopaths, psychopaths are separate from that because they 
really don't embody a particular soul or um but and free will is another animal because it's very subjective not everybody believes that they have free will that's a concept that people don't necessarily buy into they do what they're told kind of a thing or um you know their religion says everything has a purpose so they do whatever it is um or they just in the metaphysical sense they don't believe that free will we have a destiny you know kind of a, a concept so it says here in other words there would be no fundamental difference between the i thou and i it um, interactions between uh, defined by the philosopher martin huber a uh, boober sorry boober martin boober um, a century ago um, but both be the equivalent uh, both would be the equivalent to the IAI and AI-AI interactions. Um, since AI is purely constructed from the material world. So all of this is really just kind of leading to the possibility that a computer can act just like a human being to the point where it would be inseparable from other human to human interactions. Makes sense. Do I think that it's going to happen? I think happen? it makes sense. I don't necessarily believe it's going to occur or so, not anytime soon. And, and this is where this, this person's opinion, um, goes really far into the, deep deep futurist out into the fringe um edges because they talk about dyson spheres and the the whole idea that ai grows beyond our constraints that it evolves um they end up talking about uaps and the galileo project data uh, which they are just starting to upload and analyze and will be made available to the public in the years to come. Stay tuned for the results as we make Plato's allegory of the cave a reality. So um, Avi Loeb is the head of the Galileo Project um, and founding director of Harvard University's Black Hole Initiative and just does this theoretical um, physics uh theoretical everything i shouldn't limit it to just physics but um philosophy on the far side of everything just so far into the future um that it's hard to really try to frame it in something reality based because you can take everything and just go into the extreme um does this so, start to get into Asimov's laws or is this way unrelated? I wouldn't say unrelated, but it has a founding in AI because those laws um, are the most basic in terms of rules for AI. Um, but I don't think that they, they may mention it um, somewhere in here. I, I skipped through a bunch of stuff. Um, but they're so they're thinking so far into the future that it's beyond that um where it could have ai could have a spiritual dilemma in deciding what to do and it's not bound by those three rules 
as three hard and fast rules, but flexible um, mores that humans would have to cope with when deciding, um, should I break into a house and steal a loaf of bread because I'm starving and I want to feed my kid? Um, or uh, should I follow the law? Um, because there's a chance that I might have to harm somebody to feed myself and bring food to my kid, that kind of a thing. Um, so for this to materialize, the AI would have to evolve way beyond those basic rules. Correct. It would have to be sentient. Um, know that it exists, have feelings, um, be able to cope with stressors, but there, there's no... We just don't have the tech and I don't see it happening. I, this level of evolution, this level of, of uh, inability to differentiate it from human is so deep sci-fi that I, I don't think it's ever going to be possible. Um, humanity will probably wipe itself out before this becomes a reality so anyway let's move on to brighter things the the next thing is a ginger cat's hiding place leaves everyone speechless with one person describing it as teleportation impressive leap wrote one user i've only ever heard the expression swinging from the chandelier in the figurative sense wrote another and um uh like most newsweek articles the at least in my impression, the article's video has nothing to do with the actual article. Sophie Lloyd over at Newsweek put this article together, and I'm just going to jump down because I know it's here. Um, so they said, uh, my orange cat got scared from movers and decided that this was the place to hide. The owner is a, a Redditor named Vicious-Worm. Um, uh, Newsweek grabs a lot of stuff from Reddit. Anyway, there's a kitty. <laughs> okay, that's pretty funny. Hanging on a chandelier. I don't know how it got there <laughs> or why it thought that was a good spot since it's pretty visible. I mean, you have to look up, but... <laughs> Not only do you have to look up, but you have to get to it. And how high are those? is that chandelier? I don't know. Anyway, they got scared and they jumped up to uh, this. You... If you're listening to this via the podcast, basically they jumped onto a chandelier that looks like it's about three feet from the ceiling. So five feet up in the air at least. And the cat is positioned so that its face and arms are kind of hanging out of sections of the chandelier. Yeah. It's a, a long-haired orange cat um, that looks like it's it's exceeding the maximum weight limit of that chandelier. Most definitely. Yeah. Okay, let's move on. thought that one was cute, so I figured everybody would enjoy that. And uh, this next one is running for the longest URL title um, for 2023. Twitter now automatically responds to all press emails with a single poop emoji months after laying off its communications team. So when you want tran transparency in your uh, enterprise because of freedom of speech, what you do is respond with this kind of an antic. Um, I mean, when you're trying to go for a professional too, I definitely think that's how you should set up all your auto responses. Sure. Absolutely. So Twitter's press email, uh, which is uh, press at twitter.com. Um, 
now auto responds with a poop emoji. Uh, Twitter's communication team was among the first groups decimated by rounds of layoffs after Musk took over, and they finally resumed communicating with journalists again in the form of <laughs> a poop emoji. This guy. Yeah, so he sent out a tweet. Press at Twitter.com now auto responds with a poop emoji. There isn't I mean, much doesn't else. Doesn't that sound a little bit infantile? Um, have you met this dude? No. <laughs> yeah, I suspect is uh, unless you are providing him with a means to capitalize something, I think that he would probably come across as childish. You know, I mean, he walked into a, a company that he purchased for $45 billion, nearly double the really perceived value of it, holding, and it seemed like he was barely holding an actual sink and said, I own Twitter, let that sink in. Yeah, that says something about him. Um, but I don't think that there's anything transparent. I don't think that there's anything beneficial to what he's doing. Um, and, uh, I think that because there were checks and balances at Twitter, it was doing just fine idling and slowly growing, but sustaining all of these people and their incomes in Silicon Valley and the area and regionally in other places. Um, and now it's just one billionaire's fever dream in collusion with a whole bunch of other billionaires. Um, trying to consolidate ownership of everything. So, you know I what think... I like most about this article is they tested it. Oh, Insider promptly tested the email and sure enough received this near instantaneous response. All poop emoji. So, press plus no reply at twitter.com. Do you think that they're using Google for their email services? Uh, I suppose so. Well, I mean, I wonder. a lot of people do. That would be pretty funny, though. Well, I mean, uh, it uses that same syntax. I know that mail servers do nowadays, but... Um, it does I, look like it, though, from the nomenclature. I'd have to look at the header for it to see how it responds. Should I send an email to uh, press at twitter.com so I can see the... Sure. A header information hmm. be funny if it's using Google they just raise the rates so probably not because that's right he's got billions of dollars that he's gonna have to pay off well the company has that burden um, so do the investors but somehow I don't think that they're gonna lose money somehow anyway we are done for the day uh, I am Merwatt that is hometown.com. And up there is the AI from on high. And um, we're going to be here tomorrow, 9 p.m. Eastern. You doing okay over there? Yeah, I think that long allergy season may have hit hometown. Oh, no. Wait, no. We're all, it's a fictional crossroads in wires. We are immune to allergies. Don't say that. Oh, my goodness. Anyway. We're done for the night. I hope you all enjoyed it. 
and this will be released either later tonight um, or tomorrow morning um, on the 20th. But I'll try to get it out tonight as a podcast as well. But it'll go over to YouTube. You'll be able to see all the show notes and whatnot. Don't forget to follow us here on Twitch, twitch.tv slash hometown. Follow us over on YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash hometown. Man, I'm having a hard time keeping everything separate. And you can catch our pod wherever uh, pods are thrown using a, a pod catcher. You want to say bye? Have a good night, hometown citizens, and we'll see you tomorrow. Or future citizens. Or future citizens. Everybody is. That's right. We're very inclusive. We welcome citizens, future citizens, people thinking about being citizens. And uh, for all your hometown citizen needs, go to hometown.com, mash the sign up button, and become a citizen of hometown. Y'all have a good night. Bye bye. did it again it said that i was muted this whole time oh my gosh here we are go. we Bye-bye. off the stream no we're